Hello everyone, welcome to, an, to a new Process Mining Cafe. Um, yeah, over here in Europe we are almost going into a long weekend and um, at the end of this uh, somewhat shorter week uh, we are doing a new cafe with a very common topic uh, about data preparations. I'm here with Rudy. Hi Rudy. <laughs> and what we wanted to do right really is to collect some of the common questions that we hear a lot when people get started with process mining and there's so many things that we reoccur so we wanted to put them together and go about some of the questions that we see a lot yeah yeah the, 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 yeah data extraction and data preparation is of course one of the first challenges you often encounter when you yeah. start with process mining And a lot of the questions are yeah. coming up, of course, about what about the data? How, yeah, how yeah. do we go about the data? So we collect some of those for you. We also show you some um, two common examples of data preparation um, yeah, that, that we see a lot. So that I think can be helpful. And of course, you can participate. So we are live um, on the stream um, on this website where you are seeing this right now. Just below, you can enter a chat. You don't need an account or anything. Just type in your name um, and uh, you, you, you are in the chat. And there you can add your experience or ask any, any questions. And we keep an eye on that throughout the, the session. All right, so yeah, let's let's get started. So uh, I think really right one of the the most common questions that people have, especially if they're really new to process mining, is they're wondering what about these logs? Where are these logs coming from? So where are they coming from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the advantages is that they can come from everywhere, right? So we get this question often uh, and then people say, yeah, where do I get these, these type of logs? Uh, which systems do I need to uh, um, yeah, a request to have these logs available? Um, and we see that data for process mining is being collected from various type of systems. Uh, so particular systems we see quite often are workflow systems because they tend to have this type of data already readily available in this particular format. So if we're looking at the workflow, then it's composed of activities that are executed for a certain case. Uh, and these activities are then being logged. So it's quite easy to, to get this type of data out of the particular system. And other type of sources are uh, clickstreams, for example. Uh, so clickstreams have a, a case uh, that's often a user that is clicking through a website and each click that's being produced uh, also triggers the collection of timestamps and, of course, URLs, which can be abbreviated into... Right. That's uh, something that people often don't yeah. think about, right? So that clickstream also could be a data source. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there are many more, right? So it, it also doesn't contain to a particular domain or even uh, a particular area. So production systems also tend to collect this type of data. Uh, more obvious, which is used very frequently, uh, these examples of purchasing processes in ERP uh, systems uh, or purchase, uh, purchase to pay, order to cash. Uh, but other type of systems are project management systems yeah? so or systems that are kind of used for software development, for example. Um, mm -hmm. And then you can also track these activities. You can find patterns, how people are working together. Often they call it then sprints or how well, what's kind of the lead time of these projects? What kind of rework do we see as part of a project? Do they... Uh, at least have the milestones uh, available in this project more from yeah. a compliance point of view. Yeah, we had this example once at the Prosmining camp, right, with the Jira data. Yeah, that's very nice, where they compared multiple teams together to have best mm -hmm. practices uh, across these teams. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there are more specific type of use cases. So, for example, if we are looking in the medical area, uh, for example, in hospitals, and they have these hospital-specific uh, systems. And these, of course, are very detailed in logging. And so we see quite a lot of detailed logging there. But in hospitals, you also have a lot of devices like MRI scanners or radiology systems. And these systems itself also produce logging, right? So the logging is then not coming from one system solely, but it can be combined from multiple systems together to get kind of a complete understanding. And so how is that MRI scanner being used as part of the diagnosis process? Uh, And how does that work uh, in in contrast with a medical specialist, for example? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I think the, the one thing that's important to remember is that you don't need any specific system to to work with process mining. It's not that any of these systems that Rudy just mentioned were made with process mining in mind. They have been around for a long time. You can apply process mining to legacy systems that were made in the 80s or earlier. So, so that's not the point. And, and none of these systems are yeah, made for process mining. And also you're not looking for kind of technical logs, right? Sometimes that can be a little bit misleading because the term that we use in the process mining space to refer to the type of data that we need, uh, we call it event log. Um, But when people hear log, sometimes they think of something very technical, like a server, Apache server log or something like that. But yeah, that's more unstructured and more technical. But with process mining, yeah, you're not looking for technical logs because um, you also want to analyze the process on a business level, right? So you're looking for data on the process level, on the business level on which you want to analyze it. And the good news is is that if there is any system that supports the process, is it a hospital system or whether it's a production system, doesn't matter. The important milestones that happen in the process, they are usually captured somehow in the information system. And that's what you're what you then go and look for when you create yeah. your data. Yeah, yeah, and so to, to give already some interesting examples, so sometimes you see that people have either a challenge to find these particular logs, um, and sometimes they are not readily available, but one of the interesting examples is, for example, from an auditing point of view, and they are looking for the logs, cannot find it, and then eventually there was kind of a check mark in that system in order to enable uh, this traceability logging, and then eventually they were able to to collect it. So it doesn't mean that if you cannot find it in the system itself, that it it is not available or it's not possible to collect it in a certain way uh, because the functionality is often there. Yeah, Yeah, sometimes that's a good point. Sometimes you need to switch on the logging. Yeah, that's true. But even if there's not a logging at all, so even if it's in some kind of business data database or something. So, for example, if you think of a sales process, um, in the context of the sales process, at some point in time, there's maybe an offer being sent to a prospective new customer. Some Somewhere in the business system, there will be at least a date when that offer or that contract was sent to the customer. And then what you're trying to do with post mining is to go into the system and find where is this timestamp, when that particular activity happened. So, yeah, so... Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and, and that's, that's already kind of coming to the chicken and an egg problem, right? So mm-hmm. well, we can look for data. So we are kind of starting with the data. Uh, but of course, we are trying to understand the process, right? So it doesn't mean that the data source, which we have, it could explain multiple processes, right? And so we have a very nice example where we have a data set of an HR uh, process, but it contains 
different type of processes. And so it takes yeah, okay. reimbursement processes, but also the onboarding and the offboarding process. And so then you need to unweave each of these processes from this whole data set. And so that's also kind of part of the data collection to understand yeah, what part of the process you, you want to analyze. Yeah, exactly. And it's also a little bit of a chicken and egg problem because yeah, you need to know a little bit what kind of process you are looking for to ask for the data, right? And I think that's something that we will come back to multiple times throughout the session because it's a really important point that you really have to think about the process that you want to analyze and understand that. That's nothing you can get around. It's not just getting data and, you know, ProSmining is doing it automatically. You have to build up this understanding, but also you have to get the data somewhere, right? So we also wanted to briefly talk about, yeah, who do you get the data from? And yeah. we, we brought this slide as a reminder of the different roles in the ProSmining project. So let me bring that up. Can we know when you can see the slide and then, yeah, so do, who do you go to really when you want to extract data? Yeah, yeah. So one of the challenges, of course, of collecting process mining data is um, understanding uh, where the data is coming from, whether or not it is has uh, is available right now, uh, right uh, in the right way, uh, way, and then also how to get it into the right format. Uh, so there are kind of multiple stages in order to get the data. Um, so often when I start looking for data, I start looking actually at the system that is being used by the domain expert because that's kind of closest uh, to the point telling me whether or not there should be some kind of type stamps available. Uh, so often, for example, in IT service management systems, if you look at a particular request, for example, you see this overview of the history of all the actions that actually happened uh, as part of that request. Uh, so that kind of already is an indication that it should be there independent of in which format it can be offered. And so if we are then looking at the whole structure of where the data is coming from, then the data can come from existing reporting. So that means maybe the user itself can export the data quite easily. But if the data is not readily available, then of course you need to go back to the roles that are maintaining the system. And so the IT uh, administrators of that particular system. Um, and if they don't know, then it could also be that they need to dig deeper, right? To understand, okay, what kind of data structures are in the database technically and how they are kind of related uh, to each other in order to uh, generate or create these, these type of event logs. And then you see that the whole supporting system or organization is kind of needed in order to get the data out and prepare it into the right format. And that's also one of the big challenges we see that people think, okay, it's quite easy and we get the data and then we load it into a process mining tool. But then they are realizing that understanding whether or not the data is available, where it's sitting to get it out and to get it into the right format. And then we actually yeah, need Uh, multiple roles in order to get this done. So ideally, this this one person who can do everything all together, that's the ideal world. Um, but often this is not the case. We cannot do this alone. So it yeah. requires multiple roles to, to get this done. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes it is one person who can fulfill multiple roles. So the green ones, by the way, are a little bit uh, in the slide that we've just shown, are this, um, the roles that are closest to, let's say, the process miner. It, 
them, the process miners themselves, right? So the the data analyst is the one really using the process mining tool, um, applying the filters, doing the analysis. But you also need um, the business analyst who's able to, um, yeah, to to basically interpret what they're seeing from, for example, a process improvement perspective, or if you're an auditor with the audit methodology. So it's it's. The, the organizational context in which you use process mining. Uh, but then also we have the data specialist, and that's, of course, is very relevant also for the topic today, where we see that at a certain point in time, especially if you have large data sets, you might need certain yeah, skills to work with large data sets, to combine them, to transform them, to get them yeah, ready for process mining. And um, yeah, because they're quickly too big to fit into Excel, for example. And uh, what you see is that there are, for example, big data specialists in companies who can do these transformations. But then if the process mining analyst does not have those skills themselves, they have to work with this person and they have to tell them what data transformation they need to make and how they need to shape the data correctly. Yeah, yeah. So it's already very relevant what kind of question you have in order to prepare the data, right? So mm -hmm. it, it's it's not simple in a sense that you have kind of the source data and you bring it to, into one format and then you are there, right? So you have kind of the result, what you actually need. But it's kind of depending on what type of questions you have to change the shape of the data exactly right to answer this particular question. Uh, and this also requires then the feedback loop. Eh? So it's more or less a multidisciplinary team that needs to work together to bring out a result to do this type of analysis instead of just simply request the data and then we are kind of done. And so yeah. often what's the effect is uh, you start requesting the data once uh, from either the system administrator or uh, requiring any data expert in order to get the data right. And then a few weeks later, you are requesting the data in a slightly different way. And then you are requesting it again. And then you get kind of the irritation going on because people don't understand why are you getting back every time with a slightly different question. And it's, yeah, that's where you are shaping the data. And uh, if they don't realize this, then yeah, it's very difficult to, to be able to work together. So yeah. sometimes it's good to have this knowledge from the start that you can kind of operate as a, as a team or have a way where you can do it more flexible. Uh, so that means that some part of the data preparation in the beginning, you are doing this on a smaller set, maybe yourself, uh, to clarify how this works. Yeah. Um, and then get to a point where you can explain very concretely what you have done so that someone else can either replicate this or understand how they can deliver it in a more flexible way. Yeah. And in general, it's good to expect that this will be an iterative process. It's very unlikely that it's going to be right the first time, but you will probably yeah, have to go through multiple cycles of getting the data and maybe getting it in, in the right way. And so, yeah, having this expectation communicated and for yourself but also for others in the project is really useful and it's it's quite a good idea to involve any kind of IT context whether it's the data administrator or some data specialist who will help you prepare the data um, you know, to make them also a little bit enthusiastic about process mining and to explain what you're doing because then they also understand maybe better what what you're looking for and can support you in a better way yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and, and then if we are diving a bit deeper, right? So, of course, if we are looking at the role, if we are looking at the system administrator, and if we even mm -hmm. look past the system administrator, then there is a system, right? So, 
often the question is where does the data then physically come from right mm. so uh, people quickly relate to either a database for example but it could also be different things right so it could be a system it could be a file it could be a log and so data when you warehouse a data yeah. warehouse yeah it's more abstract that it can be very structured in a sense so if you have a data database uh, relational database and often the data is very structured but if you kind of have an archive of documents, contracts for physical contracts which are scanned in or posts which are scanned in, then they have a timestamp of when they are scanned in. But the data of the actual object is unstructured, right? So if you can find a way to make that more structured data, then of course it would also be reusable uh, for a process mining point of view. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 Another another question that we get a lot is about what's about manual activities, right? Do we get that also a lot, really? Yeah. Yeah. So often that's one of the first questions. Eh? So when we kind of do an awareness session where we show process mining capability and then have a discussion about it, then one of the first questions is, okay, how how do I deal when I don't have the data? And I think we are getting to that point uh, eventually somewhere down the line. But one of the first question is. Uh, what if I have some of these activity being logged, uh, but some of the work is done outside of the system? And so, yeah. for example, I have a workflow system that kind of supports um, uh, request of loans uh, for the underwriting process, but some part of the decision making is done completely out of the system. Uh, they are using paper or something else in order to do the final decision and not uh, log every step along the way and the question is is that an issue is that a problem yeah and mm. people ask about it i think because they are aware that um, that's just the reality right organizations use different systems first of all often not just one system but processes are supported by different systems and not everything is supported by a system but there are these manual steps where you maybe do something on the phone or through email or yeah just outside of the system and yeah they are essential parts of the process and I think it's a little bit like a all or nothing a kind of worry, right, that people have. Like, if I have these manual activities, maybe then I can't do process mining at all. And I think it's really important to realize that um, you start with the data that you have and um, it can be very well be that there are some gaps or some blind spots. And of, of course, if you don't have um, data about a particular step, because process mining is a data analysis technique you don't you won't see those steps right so that's why yeah we refer to them as blind spots because also in the process maps that you discover um, you will see the steps that happened before and afterwards for example that are somehow re registered in the system but then where the manual activity is it looks like there's a big kind of delay right or kind of a a long time that something takes but in reality it's not actually that nothing happens there but there are these manual activities that you don't see and so what is important is that you're aware of yeah of of the existence of these uh, manual activities and to know that you have those blind spots to interpret what you're seeing correctly but start with the data that you have and only if exactly in that area of the process you have the biggest problems and you realize you need some bigger visibility then it's worth going into yeah some in a second iteration for example to collect some data mm -hmm. in, in this place Yeah. yeah, sometimes it's deliberate, right? So, for example, if you're looking at an ER, and then often mm. they are logging very concretely when a patient enters the ER and when it leaves the ER. 
And of course, in the ER, a lot of things happening, right? So a lot of procedures as well. But they don't have the time in order to do the logging at that given moment in time, right? So they, yeah. they, they are really working on the patient and not doing the administration at that given moment in time. And so, of course, there are other ways, either to observe or uh, maybe uh, to do a video capture or these kind of things. Um, but uh, they don't want to in, in include a lot of administration at that given point in time. Eh? So you also have to realize, was there a particular reason why the data was not collected? Or would it be beneficiary to introduce something that makes it easy to collect the data? Because having additional, as you, you can collect, of course, the data manually, but that requires to have additional work in order to yeah, get this kind of as a result back. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you need to make a strong case before you actually can do this. Otherwise, you create a lot of irritation as part of the process. Yeah, yeah. And you don't have to. Yeah, that's the thing. Eh? You only do it if you only do any kind of manual data collection if you need it so yeah. i would never start with that i would always start with the data that you already have yeah. Yeah. and then see yeah and I would, I would never continue with the data collection manually uh, only a sample uh, so for yeah. example i've done this in the past but just a few days or just a week just mm -hmm. to get an impression and then try to make some bold calculations based upon the data what you have then. Yeah. And the nice thing is that you can extend your process mining analysis also based upon the manual collected data, right? So then you kind of have a time slice where you can see at least uh, unlock the black box and then see kind of deeper what happens and analyze yeah. that particular part, but would not continue this forever because it would create too much irritation. Yeah. Exactly. What are some of the other common questions that you see? Yeah, so yeah, of course, uh, where the data is, is, is coming from, um, but, but also, uh, yeah, how do I deal with large data sets, for example? Mm. So yep. th there can be some challenge that people would see, okay, I have this ERP system, uh, it contains millions and millions of rows, where do I start, right? So then you are getting lost quite quickly just by the immense Uh, sheer number of data and how to handle the data if you don't have the capability to handle that amount of data. So I also often see kind of uh, a boundary uh, for yourself, uh, this, this amount of data I can handle, but if it gets bigger, then uh, either uh, technically it breaks down or uh, the functionality, uh, uh, functional it would not be easy to, to deal with this. Um, and then you need to think about okay how how to deal. Yeah, and you you know already that you need to go through multiple iterations, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it really makes sense to start with a sample of a small piece first to understand and look at the data. Yeah. Exactly, and then you can also uh, understand how difficult it is to get it into the right format, and mm. then it's easier to understand how these pieces kind of are relating to each other. How far do we want to get? Uh, so. Yeah. Often what I see in practice, one of the other pitfalls is that people get very ambitious from the start. And yeah. that's, that's good, right? So they look at process mining and then see this ideal end-to-end -end process that being mined, right? So uh, we need data from the cool center system. Then we need the data from the CRM system to get all these interactions with the customer and then create an offer. And when that offer is being accepted, then we need to have these orders from the ERP systems. And these orders are then being delivered also as part of the ERP system. And then we send an invoice from the invoicing system. And then even we capture the feedback, right, from the customer kind of as a loop back how, how it was. And all these different type of systems, are, of course, have 
relationship. So then you need to find some commonality, yeah, the common case idea, what we refer to. But it's also very challenging because you are then talking about all these systems that need to be aligned up. We're assuming mm-hmm. that all these systems collect all the data points necessary in order to make uh, this analysis. And um, yeah, finally, if there is some kind of gap, it kind of get broken down either at the beginning or at the end, right? So if I have a call center and I get a phone number, but that phone number is not relatable to something in my CRM system, yeah, how am I dealing with this? You get all these complexities. Mm. So yeah. it would be good to start small. Yeah, start maybe with one start, system or yeah, two, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then also start with a system where you can already contribute from a value point of view. And so if yeah. you see problems, kind of in the, the in the ordering process or in the in the customer interaction process, and start either with the CRM system with the ERP system, and then along the way uh, try try to extend, right? Try to group and merge these two data sets together, and then start to grow the whole end-to-end process. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah, you you can go on with data. Your data is never perfect, and that's that's also kind of that awareness that has to be there when you start with your process mining exercise. The data will not be ideal from the start. Yeah, yeah. But which system to start with and which process to start with? That's actually something also we can include in the show notes. We have like a guide uh, that can help you a little bit if you're in that stage where you're still thinking: should I start with this process or with that process? That can give you some guidance, like which process you should. You should pick in the beginning. Yeah. I think maybe the one of the most common questions that I get is like, how difficult is it? How much yeah. time will yeah. it take yeah. 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 <laughs> to prepare the data? And of course, the answer is it depends, right? You know that I think probably everyone who asks that question knows that, but they're still hoping like there's this one simple answer. But the truth is, it's really very different. I mean, um, I also see people who are um, assuming that it's always very complicated, but it doesn't have to be. There are some systems, for example, if you think of, for example, IT service management systems, the data is there. There's the history of all the, you know, you have the ticket number as the case, uh, all the status changes are locked. So some of these systems have some kind of export CSV button, which puts out the data in exactly the format that you can put it in the post tool. And you don't have to do any data preparation. That's kind of the easy case. Yeah, um, yeah but there are also other others where you have to yeah, put a lot of data yeah, preparation yeah. work. Yeah, and so some people also ask, right, so how much time will it take in order to get my data, get it mm-hmm. out and get it right? And so it also depends very much on the situation uh, and, and on the system which you are looking at. So we see that over the years, uh, so we are doing this already for quite some time, but over the years, the systems are getting better in order to get this data, right? So it becomes more common to, to have this type of logging available. Um, and so it's easier some, somehow to get it. Uh, but it still requires a lot of effort in order to get it exactly in the way how you want it to, ha- uh, to be and what the type of questions you are answering. And so if you are looking at a first analysis, then it can take up to 80% of the effort in order to get the data right. But yeah. of course, all the knowledge you kind of have developed in order to do this first can be reused for every future analysis later on. Yeah, I think these are two really important points. So the, it's kind of a general rule of thumb, right, that people mm. often who are data working in data analysis or data mining, or they say, well, 80% is data preparation. I think it's good to just 
take that into your planning uh, with your planning into account so that in your project plan you have really more data than you maybe more time than you think uh, for this part to allow for these kind of iterative cycles um, hmm. yeah yeah so but I, I also have examples where it was easy as uh, sending an email with an example mm-hmm. data set and just in a few hours I get exactly what I, I, I needed right so yeah. in a lot of cases it's not that that complex but exactly. it kind of yeah. depends uh, what you are looking uh, looking at and what type of system and how the data is kind of hidden into the system mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah, and that's where you also you build up experience for this yeah. over time. So once you know what kind of data you need for process mining, you know what to look for and where it could be suitable. And also when you get the data, you know, um, yeah, whether it's suitable or not. And yeah, that's also something that we wanted to yeah briefly uh, cover, like uh, some of the the points that you can check once you have some data. You can look at it, and we have this data suitability checklist that we will link to in the show notes. Uh, but there are three points that are very yeah, clear if you know about it, but a lot of the times people don't realize it. So we want to to show that um, yeah, as a as a reminder. So maybe if we uh, if we go back to the slides, we can see just the three minimum data requirements that we that we need for process mining. Right. We need a case ID, an activity name, and a timestamp, of course. So, yeah, that's what we are referring to, that what people are getting the experience to know for how they look for these three ingredients, right, in their data. And then you think about, okay, for this process that I want to analyze, what will be my case ID, what will be my timestamp, uh, what will be the activities in, in the process. So, yeah, that's what you're looking for. But when you get some data set back, it's good to keep in mind that for the case ID, you are looking for a data set where you have multiple events referring to the same case, right? So if you don't have um, multiple case IDs in your in your data set, then it's probably just an event ID. And it's, yeah, you need in a process, you have sequences of activities that relate to the same case. So yeah, if you have just one event per case, you don't really have a process. So you need multiple steps that are linked together with the uh, case ID. So the case ID, you need to have multiple uh, rows. For example, like here we see there's seven rows all related to case ID C360, right? So they all belong to the same case. Now, if we go to the second requirement, it's the other way around. So here uh, we have a status attribute and it looks like, oh, the status could be my activity name. That's great. But you look at it and for the activity name, you actually need to see changes in the activity over time so here for the same case if you always have the same activity or status it's not you don't you're missing the history you're not having historical information about this activity right so um yeah it's maybe the last activity that happens or the current status but you're missing the activity um History. So what you're looking for is something like this. So this is a good example uh, where you have, you see for this case, C360, you see different steps, different activities that happen over time. And the same that holds for the activity is also what you're looking for with the timestamps. So here, yeah, you're, you're looking for timestamp information, but often that's something, it seems that you have timestamps in your data, but look carefully um, if for the same case you actually see those timestamps changing, right? Because here it's the same timestamp for all events 
for all activities. So it's not really a timestamp in the process mining sense uh, where you mark the moment of when this particular activity happened. It's more kind of a, more like a data attribute, like for example, the time when the case was created or the time a purchase was made or something like that. So also for timestamp, you're looking actually for different timestamps for the same case. Um, yeah, so the, the data suitability checklist is, I think, a good yeah, a good kind of checklist that you can use once you have some data and you need to decide, is it a good one, right? Or do we need to go through another iteration? Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's, that's also, of course, the challenge, right? So when you start requesting the data and you get something back, you mm. need to check it whether or not the data is actually suitable. But if you are missing something, then you can do two things, right? You can say, yeah, we don't have it and we, mm. we stop there. But often it also helps to dig a bit deeper, right? So to, to give to give an example, sometimes you can look for data in a data warehouse, for example, and then they have a lot of data available and can deliver something. But you see that you are missing something, either a case ID or a timestamp. And then if you request the same data at the production system, they tend to have it because they don't take all the data into a data warehouse, for example. And so, and, and the same thing holds for a system, right? So people are starting looking in the database to see whether they can find um, all these timestamps on documents or document changes, for example, and then they have it somewhere yeah. else. Huh? They have kind of a di different separate file where they keep track of all the changes that happen to a particular document. Yeah, maybe the workflow system that yeah contributed the data that ended up in the data warehouse or in the reporting, yeah. right? Yeah. And, yeah. 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 So yeah, it's it's I think also a good a common practice not to just accept the answer, but Yeah, really yeah, work through the process and dig a bit deeper to see how far you can get to really understand what is then actually missing. And so it could be that you don't have all the ingredients, but then you are certain what is missing. But that's also kind of the starting point in order to try to influence the whole part to make sure that if you are taking a next iteration, that you also improve the quality of the collection system of your data. And it's not easy, right? So you cannot change the system tomorrow or uh, collect the data tomorrow. Uh, I have some examples where, where this happened. Uh, but it can at least lead to some of the requirements that can be taken into account when you are changing the system or when you start onboarding a new system, for example. And that's what we see in a lot for, especially the companies that are doing process mining already for quite some time, that they have very specific requirements for the onboarding of these new systems. Yeah. And their data becomes richer along the way. So if they didn't start process mining six years ago, for example, they wouldn't have this. And so it, it, it also kind of creates this need and this requirement and improvement of the quality of, of these logs eventually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one of the examples that are very interesting where they were able to do it is um, an introduction of kind of a mobile app or an app website app. And they had kind of a traditional way to have a sales conversation more physically. Um, and then they started to introduce an app to kind of give advice before they actually have this uh, discussion. And This app, of course, is kind of tracking user behavior and they were seeing each individual user behavior as part of the app, but they were not be able to relate this to a particular customer. 
And so then they saw that they had this technical logging. Mm -hmm. yeah, that you have this timestamp, you have each individual interaction that actually t took place. And it was not easy, right? Because you have all these interactions or all these system loggings, but then you need to take out all these user interactions that take place. But they needed to add this customer identification as part of this. And they didn't think about having this in this particular log. So they added. It was not that complicated, but it required that step. Eh? So you cannot assume that it's already there. So yeah. they needed to put some effort in in order to have this. And then when they did, they were able to join both the information from the CRM system with the information from the online app. And then a whole rich uh, view came into play because then you would be able to see how is this customer interacting, right? So does, do they yeah. use the app first or are they contacting um, um, uh, the sales uh, re representative uh, or how is the play with the sales representative and the app? Eh? So how are they working together? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so the whole yeah, new perspective is kind of unlocked just by adding this additional information yeah. that's a nice example and it's it's like also showing that you you we were talking earlier that um, people want to know how difficult is it to to get the prospecting data ready and make it available but um, apart from being different systems being yeah having different levels of difficulty the difficulties that they that you encounter are also in different places right the example that you just gave was about the case id so basically yeah. the case yeah. id was missing yeah. to connect these systems and that's one of the things if you want to look at process mining at the end-to-end -end process um, the end-to-end -end process scope is determined by the case id so even if um, different case ids are used across different systems then you need to be able to make a mapping. Huh? Sometimes you have a custom ID or something that you can find back in all of the systems. Like in your example, they were adding that. Um, but yeah, if you have different systems, you have to be at least able to map it. And if that's not possible, yeah, then you can't do it. So then it's really um, a requirement that's missing to be able to analyze this end-to-end -end process. And once you realize that that you could do that and how valuable that would be, then yeah, it becomes practical to add that data link. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and when you start doing this, also the interesting thing is, is of course, sometimes if you are doing something in an app or if you are doing something on a website, a lot of people anonymized, right? So mm. they are there, but we don't know who they are. And so at the moment they are interacting, we don't know who they are. But eventually if they purchase something, we know who they are. Right, so it's also the something bank. You that mean when the in the bank, if they're logged into, for example, in their yeah, kind of example, customer yeah. account or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, but also when when you buy something at Amazon, for example, mm. yeah, then eventually you can browse for products, and eventually you log in, and then you buy something, and then you kind of yeah show who you are. And so also from a process mining point of view, you kind of track back. Yeah? So then you can see further in the history to see all the interactions that took place. So maybe you can even go back to the Google ads, which kind of triggered you to go to the Amazon uh, page where you were looking something, right? So in this way, you it requires some kind of design of uh, the process. Uh, and that requires also some kind of design of, of your case ID, I think. Um, Yeah, and eventually you need to do the same thing for the timestamps. Yeah? So often people are, are starting analyzing their processes. So if we are looking at business processes again, then we see, yeah, I'm, I'm missing something here, right? But mm. the logging, the system was kind of uh, developed to support the administrative part of the process. Yeah. 
and that the administrative part of the process doesn't include the whole process or the whole story. Yeah? A lot of things maybe happen outside of the system or different systems. Yeah. Yeah, the thing is, yeah. the thing is, the time stamps you mentioned time stamps, but the time stamps are often linked to the activity, right? So that's, yeah. of course, the time of the activity. So if you're missing time stamps, you're maybe missing certain steps in the process. But yeah. if you're missing certain steps in the process, what you have to look for in the systems are time stamps. So maybe you don't have like an activity name, but it's just a data field somewhere in the in the database table um, with a date. Or if you have, if you're lucky, date and time. Um, but then you know, okay, that's the time of that activity, and then you make that your activity with the timestamp there. So you, yeah, you need to know what you're looking for, and you you get you create that event log for your analysis. Yeah, 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 and it could also be uh, yeah other things, right? So if I have a workflow system, and that workflow system uh, arrives at an activity create quote, for example. Mm-hmm. then creating the quote is composed of subactivities. Yeah? So if I want to create a quote and maybe I, I need to uh, translate to, uh, to a different currency, so then I need to open uh, something in order to recalculate the currency or based upon the current uh, rates. Uh, so then I open the app, I, uh, I have this exchange rate, uh, I calculate the the, ex- uh, the the actual rate, and then I need to create the eventual offer. Um, each of these steps are not part of the workflow system itself, right? So it's something I do, but these things are timestamped. Uh, so somehow I may be able to collect these timestamps if they become very necessary as part of my analysis. And so... Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking about when we are missing timestamps, we are missing also activities, yeah, but these timestamps of these activities are not then not being logged because they were never part of the design of this particular workflow system. They maybe yeah. were part of the design of the process, but not of that workflow system. And yeah, yeah there, there is kind of a mismatch between both of them. Right? So what our ideal logs look like and what we can get uh, from the systems. Yeah, and I think that's what people are thinking about if they're asking about manual activities. And yeah. um, so because they know that there are all these things that maybe are not reflected. Yeah. probably yeah. cannot be found in the data. But yeah, so we have been talking a lot about the ingredients uh, that we need and how to find them, how difficult it is to find them and, and things like that. But let's say that you have all the ingredients. Uh, it still is often the case that you still need to do something with the data, that it cannot be used as is, but you have to transform it somehow, put it in a different shape, put different files together and um, yeah so what we also wanted to do here today is to show you two common examples um, and we will show this just based on Excel um, very in a very simple way because we want to demonstrate to you conceptually how you're how you're looking at these problems right and uh, to illustrate the things that you have to keep in mind um, for yourself um, yeah technically right really we see people use all kinds of tools what kind of tools do you see people use for making really data transformations or merging in practice yeah, yeah so more uh, traditionally sql of course a lot of data is residing at a relational database so when they get it out they also use sql to get it into the right format um, but more complex uh, transformations uh, are done in ETL tools. And so especially if you have bigger data sets, then this is uh, a good common practice. But also more uh, technical people are using uh, Python, for example, or R uh, mm-hmm. as scripting languages in order to uh, prepare the data. 
but we ha- also don't have to underestimate the power of just common Excel, right? So especially <laughs> if you show an example, it's easy to explain. It's very accessible for everyone. Uh, and that's also one of the best practices. Just request a smaller data set. We show you in a couple of moments, a simple example, just a few cases, right? But if you use these few cases, you can already show how the data kind of should be prepared. Mm. And it doesn't mean that you cover all the scenarios that are in your actual data, but at least people understand how they should combine this together. So it yeah, reduces a lot of these complexities. Yeah, yeah uh, logically, right? And then you can give it, for example, to the data specialist and they... Yeah do this for the whole big data set for yeah, you. Yeah, yes, it's kind of creating the the, the requirements, right? Without yeah. writing 70 pages of documentation of how to do this. But yeah. if you can explain how, which steps you actually took in order to prepare the data for the small data set, then a data scientist would look at this and then would say, I just would take me 30 minutes. Well, if the data scientist wouldn't know what you want to do, then it would say, yeah, it'd take me at least three weeks in order to get this done, right? Yeah. Because yeah. it doesn't know how complex it is. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And what we see a lot is that the the people are just using the tools f- f- um, that they are comfortable with, right? Or that yeah. they're familiar with. It doesn't always have to be the best tool. For example, at some point in time, I was used a lot to programming in PROM, like the PROM framework, the yeah, yeah, tool. Yeah. And then if I had to program anything, I was programming some kind of PROM plugin because that <laughs> wasn't the most suitable way to do it. But for me, it was the fastest way because Easy, I knew yeah. how to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's also, especially if you are doing this in iterations, uh, often what I saw myself doing is kind of the same thing, is uh, when you are doing this for the first time, just to keep it simple, right? So it's more or less the goals uh, instead of the means, right? So the means yeah. eventually become a big discussion, how, how to bet, bet this in, who is going to do this for you, and these kind of things. But especially when you are doing this for the first time, you just want to have the goal of having this data, right? And then uh, do this. And I think another nice example is uh, from uh, uh, from an auditing use case we have where we had two auditors um, which were collecting data from SAP. And it's it's not always easy, right, to get this data from, from SAP and get it prepared. Mm. Uh, and they are not data experts uh, by far, right? So they just went into this journey and they did it themselves, right? So they could yeah. kind of request this as a separate project even uh, to, to prepare the data. But eventually they powered through and they collected the data from the different tables from SAP, even external system, and then prepared the data to get this ready uh, for their process mining exercise. And then even realized that they actually need two data sets in order to get it right. And one from the order perspective and the other one from yeah. the invoice perspective. But they yeah, did, the, did get it They did it themselves. themselves yeah. 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 And the advantage is if you do it yourself, then you, you really yeah, know also the choices that were made right there yeah. are certain choices that you have to make and yeah you can then you're really conscious of yeah those decisions yeah. 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 yeah so so maybe let's look at the first example that we brought right so it's a, indeed a very simple example because it's just one case uh, let me see if you can see it um, on my screen yeah, it should be yeah. there now. So, so really, what kind of data are we looking at here? It's like two data sets, and we know we need to put them together, but yeah, we don't know yet how they relate to each other, right? So how, how would we 
approach this? Yeah, yeah. So what we see here on the left is uh, data collected from a website. So these are clicks, what we often refer to as click streams, right? So we have in this case a customer ID, which is a customer, but you can also refer this to a session ID, for example, or an IP address. Um, and uh, this customer is clicking through the website. Yeah, and it's just one case. Huh? It's just one customer. Yeah. We see yeah, all yeah. of these 37 steps are all relating to the same customer ID. Yeah. yeah, so in the original data file, we have more, right? But we just collected one example just uh, to, to give you an example how, how you can combine this together. The second thing uh, is, I think the most easy thing is not uh, the timestamp, but the page name first. So the page name is the page which is visited. And of course, this is a URL in reality, but it's abbreviated to a page name. And so it's created more simple in a sense. And that's each page that is being visited. And of course, the moment at which this page is being visited. So when you click, for example, button to go to the next page, uh, then that click is recorded as the timestamp. So this is the starting point of visiting a particular page or uh, requesting the URL. Yeah, yeah, and that's just something. Yeah, I'm coloring it here, so we we yeah we see like which elements are the case ID, activity name, timestamp. But it's it's a good. Um, yeah, something that you would do yourself. So if you get to files and you think about how do they relate to each other, that's what you are doing in the beginning, right? You're looking, well, for each of those, what is my case ID, what's my activity name, and what is my timestamp? And then yeah, you can yeah. make yeah, and, it, and here it seems very obvious, yeah? but for example, as part of the training, we have an HR uh, data set, and then we have a lot of columns, and so you kind of get lost. And so if you don't do this kind of as a common practice, then... Yeah, you really get lost. You don't know what it is, which are the candidates and which would be a good candidate and which one won't. And so then it makes makes it kind of easier to do your first iteration instead yeah. of just taking in everything. Yeah. Exactly. And there, um, by the way, you are using the same checks from the suitability checklist yeah. um, because if you have kind of a unique ID in each of the rows and it's just a row ID but it's not a case ID that's linking the cases right and you're looking for timestamps that are different and not the same for the yeah. whole case so, so exactly the same things apply yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. and then on the right side yeah on the right side it's uh, a system where questions are being asked so you can kind of see it as an email or a web form that's being submitted uh, uh, and each question is being logged for a particular customer. So we have the same customer ID uh, here. Uh, and then we have uh, uh, two timestamps. Yeah, so we have kind of the activity ask question that where it starts. Yeah. And maybe uh, you can argue the term ask question, but it, the asking of the question starts with the requesting of that question. And it ends at uh, answering this question. So we have a starting timestamp and completion timestamp in this case. Yeah. So it's, it's the answer. The end timestamp is the, when the answer is being given to the being, question? Or? Yeah, being submitted. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, we have some attributes in there. And the attributes are about the question itself. So the question has a theme. Uh, then it has a sub-theme and even, uh, it even goes further, a detailed theme and then the actual question. Yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah, and when we now have to put these files together, so the question is, yeah, how do they relate to each other? And so here we do see, yeah, we see that there's information about a separate activity, right? The ask question is like a, an additional activity that um, happens in the same process for the same person, and which yep. we don't see in the kind of the, the clickstream logs. It's coming from a different system, for example. But you could also imagine maybe some other scenarios. Let's say sometimes you see that there's some kind of more static information or some meta information in a different system. For example, there could be a table that has information about the type of customer, right? Maybe the customer, let's say there's different uh, age categories or they're in different countries or regions or something like that. And so if you have static information, you would, um, for example, you could would merge that by adding an additional attribute. So, for example, let's say we have an additional table which gives us the age category. So let's we would put that here as an additional um, attribute category. And then, for example, let's say this person is uh, in the age category forty to forty-nine. Um, so you have maybe just one entry in this kind of static data field but yeah you would add it as a kind of an additional field right in the as an as an additional attribute so that's one thing that you see commonly where you would add let's say columns um, and then you link them based on the case id but it's different to what we have here right really here we have really activities yeah. in the second file yeah 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 so, so I think the first question is uh, how they, do these, these things relate? Eh? So if you are thinking about the process, eh? so in this case, it's a clickstream interactions, visiting a website, going to the website in a particular way, and then, or before, asking the question. Eh? So I'm either asking the question, then go online, or I'm going online and ask the question, or I go online, ask the question, and then go back online. Eh? So we are looking kind of the interactions between these these two interactions and so and what makes these interaction common is that it's done by the same person yeah. right so that there it begins and so the anchor point is the common the, often what we call the common case idea so you should have a common case idea and it looks simple here but in practice it can can be quite challenging right so if we are looking at the original data for example we started with a session id first and then the person was eventually logged in and we know we connected the session to a particular customer eh? so then we can kind of can relate the things to each other eh? but we did something extra in order to to get there eh? so it it's not always easy to find this common common case id uh, common no. case ideas, yeah. Right. But once you have it, the case ID is what's linking yeah. the case. So that's what we were talking about before with the scope of the process, the beginning and until the end of the process. It's being determined by the case ID, right? So yeah. um, the case ID is when we put files together, they need to be linked. So yeah. that's why, and we just do it by copy-paste here um, in the data transformation, you would do it then automatically with different tools. Um, so, yeah, we would basically copy just four additional rows below because these are additional events. These are additional activities. And it's important that in the same column that has the custom ID for the first data set, you put the case ID for the for the second data set as well so that you yep. can you can match them to yeah. the same case. Yeah, one important remark, you don't have to worry about the order. And so yeah. it can be at the beginning, can be in the middle, it can be. So uh, the process mining tool eventually deals based upon the timestamp with the order of things happening. And so you don't have to deal with the actual order. Yeah. 
The order for, for the rows, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, yeah. this is being automatically sorted based on the timestamps when you import the data. But then the, the other thing is when you uh, try to match the data together, you might be tempted to now also align all of the other fields. Yeah. So, for yeah. example, the activity, the timestamp. And that's actually something that we would recommend, right, really. Um, maybe not do that, but keep it flexible and keep it simple also um, because they don't have to be in, in the same Role, but we can just um, yeah let's yeah so so one of the things what's obvious here is there's a difference between the clickstream data and the questions that are being asked because the we have for the questions we have two timestamps right so we have yeah, a start and completion timestamp and only for the clickstream data we have one timestamp so there's kind of a mismatch and yeah. then the whole argument starts is the clickstream a start timestamp or completion timestamp it's neither right so it's the click. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's it's on a different level. And, yeah, and the same with the activity, right? Because here we have asked question, but actually we have kind of different levels of information about yeah. the activity asked yeah. question. So maybe we want to have information about asked question about payment. That's kind of the activity in a, in a more granular level. So, yeah, we don't want to decide that yet to yeah. limit the analysis yeah. possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we do, right? We just add them as additional columns uh, at the top. So we keep everything that we have in the one file and then we just add these additional columns to the end yeah. but then when we copy the data yeah and this is somewhat counterintuitive but uh yeah, it works it, it we just keep kind of these two data sets still disconnected from each other in a sense that they uh yeah are kind of separated but linked by the case id yeah? so here it physically shows that these things are two different things, but they are connected by the common case ID. Yeah. So now this is the joint data set that we can now import. Yeah. Uh, so now if we go to Disco, let's see, I think I put it on the desktop. Let's see if I can find it. This one. Uh, yeah, so we can yeah. see that here, right? So we have this kind of attribute that has been added. Um, this is our case ID. So that's an important here at the top. We have configured this as case ID. The timestamp has been detected for the first data set here. This is our activity name from the first one. But then at the bottom, we see those four rows coming from the second data set. And also the case ID is already yeah, linked here and through the first column. But then we simply configure the start and the end timestamp also as timestamps. And then now for the activities, we actually have some choice. So for example, here we can uh, choose the ask question as our activity. Maybe we do this first, right? Just to see, what did you say, Rudy? We want to know whether they ask the question at the beginning or at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So do they ask questions before they actually go online or after they go online? So we yes. see it at the beginning or at the end. Yeah, so this is just this one case, right? Just yeah, yeah. for this one case. And we see it at the beginning, actually, right? So yeah. here at yeah. the top. So first they ask questions and then they go into the, the different parts of the system. But now, yeah, we still have the flexibility to do it differently. So we can go back and say, actually, oh, maybe we also want to, which one, maybe the sub-theme right, yeah. could be part of the activity as well. So we want to know which kind of questions they ask. So what we are doing is we keep the configuration of these other activity fields, but we bring in an additional dimension, which is included and therefore unfolds the activity in that um, in that way, so we can see more with a more fine-grained granularity here at the top. Yeah. 
we see the four questions and we see there's actually two questions right about the the payment and then we see in which order they are asked and then actually this the process starts yeah, yeah and this gives a yeah, much easier way and yeah, without dealing with uh, some of the complexities as part of the process uh, when you start preparing the data and especially if you go to the first iteration it's kind of it feels kind of counterintuitive, right? To keep everything separate, separate, and uh, kind of as two two separate data sets. But it yeah it gives you a lot of flexibility in your analysis eventually, and this kind of helps in order to decide how to prepare the data eventually. Yeah? So if you start having kind of a self-service BI uh, set up, then this would really help how to support it in a particular way. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, also um, the timestamps can have different patterns, right? Especially if you get them from different systems. It's yeah. very normal that you have kind of slash or backslash or a different kind of way of, 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 of writing the timestamps because that's how yeah. that's how it's different in different systems. So you don't have to actually transform the timestamps into patterns. But in Disco, when you import a timestamp, it's matching automatically. But if, if it's not matched automatically, you can here at the top, you can determine the, the pattern and basically tell the process mining tool how it should interpret the data, right? And But yeah, you, you do this per column. So you can have for one system can... Be, can have this timestamp pattern and then for another from the other system you can define a different pattern and then it picks the the right one for for the one that you want so here it's at the bottom of course the four mm. okay so this was an example yeah what you do if you merge data so think about how they relate to each other if it's just additional attributes then you won't see additional activities with new timestamps but it will be just static data that you can add um, yeah as additional columns um, to the existing data set but if you have additional activities um, in the in the second file then yeah you need to add new rows like we just did with the four and you can just can just add it to the bottom yeah. and then have the merged file yeah, yeah. and of course if you are doing this for one case then it would be easier to scale this up right and so yeah, you can do it for 100 for example if you can manage this uh, if you need uh, to do more and it becomes too complicated to do it in Excel, for example, because Excel also has a limit, and then, then you can look for other ways. And so, for example, someone else can do this for you in an ETL tool uh, and then prepare this data, or someone else would say, I have, uh, 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 I can create a script quite easily in Python in order to do it. But if you show this end result, uh, so the input data and the end result, then it's quite easy to... Uh, uh, extract how you actually did this yeah, yeah exactly so with the minimum steps so the only yeah. thing what you did is align the case ID and the rest is kind of joined uh, separately yeah yeah exactly yeah and yeah so the second example that we wanted to show you is also a very common one that's why we selected it and maybe it's easiest if we just look at look at the file so let me so, uh, know when you can see it. Um, yeah, so here uh, we can see the Excel, right? Yeah. So this is a different data set. It's from a hospital. And here it's actually a little bit, yeah, at first we might think, okay, it's not suitable for process mining at all. Well, we it's not suitable yet. We have to do something with it. But that's another thing you can watch out for if you see there's not kind of any repetition of the case ID. So before we saw there were multiple rows, right, with the same case ID, which was one of the things on the checklist. Here we see 
every row is unique. I have just one row for patient one, one row for patient two, one row for patient three. But actually, we do have more information about the steps for each of the cases or each of the patients. But it's formatted differently because we can see here we have different columns, right? We have one column that gives us information. This is the admission before the surgery. So it's the surgery process. Then the second column is... Um, when the patient was ordered before the surgery, then we have the timestamp when they entered the ER, so the emergency room. Then we have information when they leave the ER. And then when they, what is the submission step? Is that after the operation, really? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, but we have five uh, different activities actually for each of the for each of the rows and yeah we have some potential data quality problems here because we are not seeing loops right repetitions are not captured by this format but let's put this aside for now and just talk about yeah if we have this data we need to reformat it so that we have um yeah different events for different rows um so yeah so to do this we also wanted to uh, again show this to you just based on a simple example uh, and we want to show it and i have prepared here already with some colors the same colors we used before just based on three cases manually so you can follow the logic of it and then actually in the show notes we will also point to a blog post where we show not just how to do this in excel but we actually show also how to do it in C uh, with sql and also with an etl tool and you can even download the, the script for that so yeah there are other tools of course to do this kind of um, for a larger data set than three but let's look at the logic Yep. Now, so so how would we do this here, Rudy? Can, can maybe... Yeah. So so first of all, what we need is a case ID, of course. All right. And yeah. here we have three candidates of a case ID, which we want to have. Huh? So it's not that we decide yet which case ID would be the best. Huh? So do we want to look from a surgery perspective or from an admission perspective or from a patient perspective where we can see multiple surgeries happening? Yeah. And so we kind of keep things together. Um, and we see that now each individual line is unique, uh, but it needs to be repetitive. And so it means yeah. that each of these activities, which are kind of now in the, the columns, need to become uh, the rows. And the heading of these columns are kind of related to um, yeah, to each of these activities. Yeah. So then we need to yeah, copy and paste first the case ID. Right. But I think the also the trick here is a little bit that you don't need to do this per case, but actually you can do it per activity. Again, yeah, the yeah, order doesn't yeah. matter. So that's yeah. something that we can leverage here. But we don't have an activity in time sum column yet. We can create them by writing yeah. activity and timestamp. And now actually we can do it per activity. So we would, if we do it for three cases here, um, we would copy... Yeah, the three case IDs, like we just said, we want to keep all of them to keep the flexibility uh, for that analysis. So we have that. But then, um, yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah. like that. So now we are taking the name of the column header. In this case, tells us what activity this is, right? So this yeah. is the name of the activity. We could make it more pretty or more expressive, but we just keep it like um, as a technical um, name here. And then, yeah, we have the, the timestamp. So, yeah. yeah, the activity name is actually now for all of the cases, of course. We are 
Yeah, it's the same. Capturing this. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, doing this. Yeah. yeah, and again, we don't have to deal with the order, right? So sometimes yeah. people think, oh, I have to have it in a neat order, or I need to group all these cases together based upon the the patient number, for example, or the admission number. You don't have to deal with this. It can be an arbitrary order as long as it has a common case ID. Uh, yeah. And so we see that, for example, now for the second, for the first patient, we kind of get a repetition of the second activity. And so uh, the process mining tool figures out by itself which patients belong together or which admissions belong together. And then the timestamp is being used for the order. Yeah. And I'm now doing this also for the third, fourth, and yeah. fifth one. So it's, it's a little bit. I can watch I'm not making any mistakes yeah, yeah I do <laughs> no. No, but we already see here that we're going into and out of the ER right so this is yeah. something that I think we'll come back to in a moment so we have two more so this is the leave activity so we have enter and now leave And again, you can do this for a whole column, right? We are doing this for three cases, but if you do the same thing and copy the whole column, uh, then you get kind of the same result for everything altogether. Um, yeah. In the example blog post, uh, especially if you do it with an ETL tool, I think it's just one transformation activity. It's called unpivot, and then the whole data set yeah. kind of unpivot uh, in, this, uh, in this direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it's one of the easy kind of ETL scripts, actually. Yeah. yeah so we're almost done. So it's the fifth and last activity. And again, we are copying the timestamps for the three cases for that particular activity. Yeah. And so now we have transposed, it's often called, right, transposed yeah. the data. Yeah. 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 So from the rows, we went, to, uh, from the columns, we went to the rows. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, of course, we could now already go and import that. So if we go back to Disco, let's see how that looks. Probably not a very, not very advanced process, right? So uh, which one is it? It's a hospital example. Transposed. Yeah, so we can see. Yeah. Of course, the case IDs are well, well. We can choose now, right? So should we use the patient ID, maybe, or surgery ID? Maybe surgery number is a good case, right? Yeah, surgery is good, yeah. Yeah, I think surgery and admission is most in most cases kind of the same. Yeah. And you can even include the patient number and the surgery because surgery is on the lower level. Yeah, and we so, could yeah. make a combination. So if we combine yeah. all three, then we will concatenate all three, and yeah. the case ID yeah. is being built. Yeah, as a combination yeah. of the three. Okay. So yeah, so now if we import this, we see the a sequential process, right? But actually, yeah. we can if we go back. Uh, we can yeah. It also shows like you have to think about how you want to look at the data and how you want to look at the process, and that can influence also how you build up your data. So there's not this one way to create the data, but you can shape that a little bit. And I think here it's a nice example because we have the. Um, two timestamps when we enter and leave the ER, right? So it's actually a duration for the activity. 
Yeah, so in the process map you can also see it, right? So you see somewhere when you enter the ER and eventually you leave uh, the ER. But of course these activities are kind of belong together. Right? You can see this kind of as one step that's actually happening. And then mm. it's weird that you have an enter and leave ER step because you yeah, conceptually see this kind of as one thing because nothing else happens in between. Um, and then, of course, you can group them together to see them kind of as a start and an end, an activity with one start and an end. Uh, so that's yeah. something we would add an additional column. Um, that's best probably, right, if we wanted to. Um. Yeah, so common practices here, or best practice is to leave the data as original as possible. And so yeah. often when I start transforming my data, then... I have this common practice to add new columns instead of changing the existing columns because then I create kind of traceability for myself to see what I how I extended the data without removing something eh? so that um, that I can keep explaining what what I did and have this original data available. Yeah, yeah but what we are doing now is kind of renaming that activity. ER. So we would call this ER, right? As yeah. a new activity. And for the other ones, we would keep yeah. the data as it is. But the key is maybe we should um, yeah, look at that in a moment. What we are doing with the timestamps, because we want to use the start and the completion timestamp that we have for this ER activity. Right? So actually, yeah. actually we are not... Yeah, not to leave, those, right? leave ER. No, no, because we now have the activity ER that kind of describes the start and the end as timestamp. Yeah. yeah. So would we then also call this the start timestamp and add a complete timestamp? Maybe, right? So we could rename this? No, yeah. So I would create a new timestamp, yeah, uh, the start, start timestamp time and, and end timestamp. So we can always import it uh, in the way how we originally created it, but then have also the option to import it in a new way. And so keep it as flexible as possible. Yeah. And now we can copy the whole column, the starting timestamp. We have to now put out the leave timestamp and then make that the end timestamp. Yeah. yeah. And these are the, the three, yeah? So they are belonging to the leave timestamp activity here or the yeah. leave timestamp event. And these are the timestamp that we are cutting now in the end timestamp for the ER yeah. activity. Yeah, so we have the original data, which is the timestamp, but now you have these empty timestamps, which are important uh, for the start and the end timestamp for the leave ER, because the leave ER are now part of the ER activity. And... What sometimes people don't realize is that you can mix and match, right? So sometimes you can just have one timestamp, but mix it with activities with the start and a completion timestamp. So it doesn't have to be all the same. Yeah. And again, here the the, the tip would be to leave the data as much as, as it is, yeah. uh, to keep it simple, but also, like yeah, like you mentioned, to have this, still the, the old data in there. And yeah, it makes it easy. So if we are looking now at the, the same data set and we are looking at at the import screen, we would configure the import a little bit differently. So as activity name, we would use now the the new activity. Yeah. We could have called it new activity, but uh, yeah. Yeah. just use it as the activity here. And then we would not use the, the previous timestamp, the event timestamp. So we would, for example, 
remove that or yeah. put it as an attribute. But we use those two timestamps, so the start yeah. and the completion timestamp. And then we see actually that there are some rows which which are empty now, but they will be removed, right? So because if you have events that don't have any timestamp, then they can't be put in the right sequence in the context of the process. So they will be just not imported at all. So yeah. actually, we don't have to delete these events because that's actually during the import step that happens automatically. We can leave it as it is. So when we import the data, we will get this message. Uh, yeah, we'll get a warning that these three are empty, which we know that's exactly what we wanted to do. So once we say, okay, yeah, now we can actually see that there's a iteration, right, for yeah. for this particular ER. activity. Yeah, so it uses that activity with a start and completion uh, timestamp. Yeah. Yes. And now the process becomes simple as well, right, because we had an additional activity uh, in the previous example, and it's much easier to read, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, again, there's not, no one right or wrong way to do this, but you have to think about how do you want to look at the process? Mm -hmm. How do you want to look at the activities? And where do you see the delays? Do you see the delays associated to the activities or to the times between the different steps? Or how are the people who have the domain knowledge looking at the process? So you try to create process maps that reflect closely to the way that you think about the process and how you want to look at it to analyze it and to improve it so i think that's an example for that and yeah the 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 other thing we wanted to show right is maybe talk a little bit more about the attributes because before we were showing um this example of this case attribute where we had the age category which we just added and then you can use this for filtering and you know, for different types of analysis but when you have attributes it's also worth thinking about well, is this an, a case attribute that's kind of static for the whole case? Or is this an attribute that reflects or refers to just one particular activity in the process? And we have an example here, right? So in this case, in this process, uh, yeah, the room, right? The, the room, room yeah. really refers to the to the operating room in which the surgery takes place. Yeah. So it's only related to the ER activity. Yeah. So, in fact, um, if we want to include that attribute, we would not include it like for the whole case, for every event, but we would just associate it. And we can put it as ER room as an additional column like before. Um, but then we only put it for, for the ER activity. And we see that for the three cases here, we have two different rooms. So, again, if we go back um, and input the data, we... Yeah, of course. Also here, the tip would be, again, to keep it separate, like in separate columns, because then you have the choice. But um, we can actually now include the ER room as an additional dimension in our activity to unfold the ER activity with respect to which different rooms it takes yeah. place. Yeah, and that's the specific reason right? why we want to have it kind of as an... Uh, event attribute instead of a case attribute, right? So because then right. we can extend it uh, as an uh, as an activity. <laughs> exactly, because what we see now is if we have um, yeah, if we have our activity here, so that's the activity that we had before. But then this is also configured as activity, but because it's empty for the other um, activities where this is not relevant, only the the relevant activity or the the act the event. Uh, where the event attribute is associated will be unfolded, right? So you can, again, think about how you want to look at the process, what you want to unfold and what not. And in this case, it's a very targeted unfolding 
of this ER activity, again, the three rows which are empty, which we expect. So only the ER activities unfolded in this way, based on the room, right? And we keep the flexibility. We can look at it on the high level or on this detailed level, like before when we were could look at just ask question where the ask question activity happens in the overall process, or we could unfold it in the different dimensions. Yeah. But um, yeah, so here it's kind of an... It's a good example, I think, for an event act, uh, event attribute um, to use like that. Yeah. yeah, so these are the two examples, I think, that we wanted to share because they, these are very common activities like merging files. So what do you have to look for? How you put them together? How do you look at this logically? Um, and then this transpose, right? Because um, the data often comes out of... Um, like a reporting system or a data warehouse in this kind of column-based format. It's something that I see quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, eh, so these are two examples where we have the data. Um, but, but if we don't have the data, what should we do then? That's that's a that's a good question. That's of course something that also is quite common, right? That people say, "Well, I don't have any data. What what do I do yeah, now?" Yeah. And actually, so if someone says they don't have data, so it's it's always good to ask further, like what's the specific situation? Because sometimes um, it also happens that maybe you are a process analyst um, and you are supporting. You want to use process mining to support the business units in your organization. And you go to the business unit who's interested in process mining. You say, well, I need these and these uh, data requirements. Can you look or can you tell me if you have data? And they come back and say, oh, we don't have that data, right? It's, it's like, I think, related to what we talked about before. You have to become more involved. You have to actually um, maybe go and look, understand what the process behind it is. And if there are certain systems that are used to do the work, then there will be some kind of data. It's it's very rare that there's no no data at all. I mean yeah, yeah. there are few paper based processes nowadays, right? Yeah, I see I see it's a different type of challenges, right? So one of the common things especially um, sometimes I see it in government mm. is that they have systems that are maintained outside of their organization. Yeah. Right? So and, and then it's very difficult for them to request the data from third parties or maybe it's a cloud-based system and they don't have direct data access right mm -hmm. so they use need to use some kind of api in order to to get the data out so i think the the challenge can be twofold it can be a technical challenge that yeah. they sometimes see yeah there, there is data but it technically is kind of a challenge because i don't have the knowledge in order to get it out myself and i need particular skills in order to do so and that requires budget or resources uh, to do and so then it's a more technical challenge uh, but it could also be um, another type of challenge is that you get a very concrete question where the first time when you start applying process mining then becomes a challenge because you want to answer the question and you are missing something. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So it could also be, I have the case that it happens with but missing an attribute, so I cannot answer this question, right? So the whole process mining exercise goes out of the door because of missing this attribute. Um, and then it's also good practice to, when you are doing this for the first time, to keep things a little bit more open in the scope because you don't know whether or not the data is exactly in this particular format available for you. And so it could be mean that you need to do in the second part, the next iteration in order to get it exactly in the way how you want it uh, to be. Um, 
Uh, and often then it's a good practice to keep your initial questions more broad, right? To understand uh, the process. Or maybe to have different type of options of different processes for which you evaluate which one is the best candidate in order to get started with process mining. Uh, to build some experience. And when you have this experience, then of course it's easier to look at other processes to see yeah, what kind of requirements are, are fulfilled or not fulfilled or what kind of yeah. data extensions you need to take. Yeah. It's a good point because you also sometimes need to get more experience with postmining to actually understand which questions you can ask, right? If you just ask, for example, a business a team to to give you the questions that you should answer for them with process mining, they don't know yet what process mining is. And maybe they come up with very kind of more kind of KPI reporting yeah. type of questions, yeah. which of course you can, you can answer with process mining, but yeah, maybe you could have also answered it in a different way. Yeah. So, uh, so being a little bit more open and also learning about the types of questions that you can answer is, uh, is a good, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and another type of discussion, and it, sometimes you see the discussion is kind of as part of uh, the beginning of the data extraction, eh? that, that you kind of uh, get into this pitfall where a big project is kind of getting started and the BI team or the reporting team or the data warehousing team becomes involved and all these kind of requirements kind of brought up how we are going to do this in the future. How we're collecting data, where's the data sitting? And then it becomes very big from a technical point of view and without having to show the value at first. So yeah. that's, that's kind of the other perspective. And then, Yeah, it's it's also balancing out this. So often what I see in practice is it's the best way to build some experience to understand really, first of all, who is going to do this particular exercise. And so is this more an analytical exercise, diagnosis as exercise that's performed by a smaller group? And then it's not that it needs to be published to uh, yeah, a very broad range of users, but as a small group of users, can they use it just on a file-based format or do they need to have a connection uh, some sorts? How regular mm. do they want to do it? Would it on a month-to-one -month basis be enough or should it be every day or should it be every uh, every five minutes, for example? Uh, and, and I think that these, these kind of discussions can only be good when you yeah, need what you need. And it can also change for every process, right? For every process it can be slightly different. Yeah. 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 And the good thing is once you start looking, you see quite quickly, like, is the data suitable, what you have, and yeah, yeah. then you can take the next steps. Yeah. So what do you think? Did we, did we cover most of the common questions that we usually see? Is there something else that you think, think about? Yeah. So if you look at data, Extraction data. I think we have. Yeah. What's the what's the weirdest process that you have seen people mine? Oh yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's so many different type type of processes uh, where you can apply process mining. So one of the interesting ones is actually eye tracking movement. So oh, yeah. they are using eye tracking movement to check or evaluate uh, websites, for example. And then, of course, the user interactions that take place in combination with the eye tracking is, is kind of interesting. And then they collect also for the eye tracking timestamps. And then the eye tracking is uh, combined with the, the clickstream data. And then it's very interesting. No, that's interesting. Uh, I, I really like still the the example from, from Philips Healthcare. I mean, last time on the cafe we had we were talking about quality management services but yeah. earlier they were actually analyzing the um yeah the 
the MRI machines, right? So really how it's a different kind of usability or yeah, customer journey process, but then how yeah, people yeah. are using actually those machines and um, to improve the usability and reliability of them. So it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and also in the, in, the, in the creativity of, of yeah. how, how to get this data, right, when it is not there. So I've seen examples where they put on videos and then have kind of QR codes on uh, the boxes of products that kind of pass around and then yeah. of course you can record timestamps based upon to follow the, the case ID also right? yeah. So the, yeah yeah and then they started to be very creative and put these QR codes also on the workers for example and then see the resources as well as part of the whole process so okay. yeah yeah this is, so there are different ways in order to yeah, to get the data eventually if, if you if you don't have it then you, you can you can be creative yeah. yeah it's something that we see a lot it's like once you start getting into the topic you will yeah, you, you, you will get this kind of vision for what could be a process mining data and you will yeah. think about what's the case ID, do I have a case ID, activity name, timestamp. And these are always the first things that you ask yourself if you want to analyze a process because these are the things that, you, that you're looking for. And yeah. yeah, it all starts there. Yeah. yeah, and I think it also evolves, right? Yeah. So, so if we ask ourselves the question, if we look at these, these customers which are doing this for 10 years, 6 years three years, for example, yeah, what, what do we see evolve, right? So I think we see evolve the skill in order to do so. Mm -hmm. So that's often the first thing where they invest in. Uh, how does this work? Uh, can I understand this? Who can develop this capability in order to do this in practice? But also in the second iteration, it kind of puts effort in uh, improving the data. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's where that evolves as well, right? So data quality issues yeah, that, that maybe can be corrected in a data warehouse or somewhere where they work on data quality. So that's one. But also at the point where they start collecting the data. Yeah? So when they have opportunities to implement a new system, for example. Yeah? So I've seen a point where they did an extensive process mining analysis. Then they had the opportunity to introduce a new uh, case-based system. Or uh, I think it's low-code yeah? where they kind of configure these, these type of systems. Uh, and then they started to implement these systems with start and end timestamps. And oh, then okay. they would be able to calculate rework and then have uh, much better uh, business cases in order to eliminate this rework as part of the system. And so then you see kind of the rework is implemented in the new system, but the new system gives you the opportunity to remove the rework from the process. And, and yeah. that's, that's a very... I think a very interesting way to, to do it. Yeah, that's of course ideal if you can influence the logging because then you can also um, ensure that you have um, timestamps that are actually detailed and maybe yeah. you have time and not just the date, but maybe even milliseconds so you get them in the right order, right? So we didn't talk yeah. much about data quality today, but of course, these, again, it's a process and it's an iterative cycle that people go through and each time you learn something and you build up more expertise yeah. uh, for the next yeah. post mining project. Yeah, and, and technically is also changing over time because I think yeah, six, seven, maybe 10 years ago, it was an issue to collect all the data, right? Yeah. So they, they got this logging, they had this logging available, but it could not be turned on because the price of uh, persisting that data Story, was, yeah, yeah, yeah the exactly. storage was too expensive. <laughs> eh? So they would say, oh yeah, we are not using this data, so please turn it off because otherwise it will too expensive to store all this data and we don't need it. 
right? So and and the storage, of course, is not an issue anymore. Huh? So it's kind of normal. You can scale it up in in these cloud-based uh, solutions. Uh, so it's and so you can can just turn it on. So it's less of of a problem. Huh? So also these kind of things are changing. But other aspects become important as well, and that's more the privacy and uh, security uh, aspects of it. eh? So then you have to deal with these aspects as well. Exactly. Okay, great. So maybe maybe it's time to to close the session with a, with a short recap, just as a reminder uh, of the things that we have discussed. Huh? So it's, I think what has become really clear is that event logs are something that you make, right? It's not something that the system either has or has not. And if it doesn't have the event log, then you can't do cross-mining. It's not at all. So if there's a system that's supporting the process, most likely the data is there and you have to go kind of get it out uh, for your analysis. And you can find these challenges in different areas. Right. It doesn't have to be the case ID, what we have given as, a, as an example. Sometimes problems are maybe that the activities are um, yeah, maybe free text only right, in a CRM system. And then maybe you have to work with the groups to maybe, maybe more look at the communication flows. Or there can be all kinds of challenges in different areas. Um, and you only know that once you have started looking. So it's always worth yeah, taking the first step and you will see quite quite quickly. Um, and what we also mentioned before, it's an essential part, building the data, even preparing the data on a logical level is an important part of understanding and will be important also for your later analysis so that you actually know that the choices that were made when the data was prepared so that you can interpret it correctly when you analyze it. So it's not just some kind of technical thing that someone just does, but it's it's important to realize it's an essential part of the of the process mining um, Yeah project um, and that's actually yeah, one of the tips um, so if you as a process miner want to uh, maybe build up some additional skills uh, of course it's always good to also learn about process improvement skills or maybe change management skills to yeah, to do kind of to support kind of process improvement projects for example but picking up some kind of data preparation skills can be quite useful so that you can you're more independent and you for example learning even to work with excel a little bit better or learning an etl tool etl tools have the advantage that you can build up workflows in a visual way by configuring them so it's not you don't need any programming and you can also store the definitions for reuse in a later way so it's it's something that yeah that one can learn And yeah, finally, uh, when you shape the data, um, you can determine the view that you want to take, right? We saw that, I think, quite nicely with these two examples, that even though we were just looking at one case or three cases, there were different ways how we could look at the cases and also the activity dimensions. So that's something that you can take into account when you create the data, and it's something that you shape um, and also... Yeah, you want to keep some flexibility there so that you can actually, even in the analysis, take different views, and you don't fix this one view in your in your data preparation. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What would you add? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so getting the data and preparing the data is one of the challenges you have or need to overcome huh, when you are starting uh, a process mining initiative. And and one of the tips is at least start small, do it step by step. Uh, you can be very ambitious. And I think the long-term ambition for process mining should be big. Yeah? There is a, a lot of opportunity. But when you start, uh, start small and do it step by step and build uh, skills and experience on both ends of the spectrum. Eh? So on the one hand, 
uh, you need to develop the skill on doing the analysis, but on the other hand, also on the data preparation, because the impact of the data preparation on the analysis and how you can extend your existing analysis is quite significant. Um, and that requires also to learn sometimes a new skill. Eh? So we see process mining being used by auditors, by process improvers, which are which don't have the primary skill to yeah, work on data or preparing data. Uh, so kind of developing this skill along the way, and it doesn't have to mean that you become the expert, but at least know how these things are done and maybe do this on smaller scale using Excel or, or something simple um, would be recommended, I think. Okay, well, thanks a lot, everyone, for, for joining us for this session. Uh, we hope it was useful. Um, let us know if you have any additional questions about it or any, any points um, that you see frequently and we will share it with the community um, the next time. Um, yeah, we will be back with the next Prosmaning Cafe only in July because in June the Prosmaning Camp is taking place. Um, think about if you can come, really, uh, we encourage you. We would love to see you in Eindhoven on 21st of June um, the early bird rate um, still applies today so if you are quick you can get a ticket still at a reduced rate and get your camp t-shirt as well um, so that will be coming up in June and then in July we will be back uh, with another cafe and again thanks thanks a lot for joining see you everyone bye, bye, -bye. everyone bye